Hey, everybody, we are live with Garland Favrito of at VoterGA or VoterGA.org. He is fighting the good fight, trying to at least shine light on the steel through the process, through the legal system in Georgia. It seems to me the can keeps getting kicked, but he's always got an update. It's always something interesting. He had a marathon hearing on Friday, and we every people have been asking what happened, what happened. So, Garland, I'm going to ask you to just give us an update. Well, okay. Thank you, Monica. And first of all, there's um, there's things that I can say and things that I can't say. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm under strict orders, the gag orders from the attorneys. So I have to uh, be kind of a little bit careful. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about. We can talk about the hearing and what, what happened there. And, but first of all, I want to thank you one more time for the headphones and the mic that that uh, Monica gave me. Thank you so much for that. We appreciate that that Christmas gift. Did you uh, see the Christmas card? I did. Did you get a Christmas card for me? I I'm not sure if I oh, did. I, but this was was it? <laughs> there was a picture of my son who has Down syndrome. I asked him to put a oh. white shirt on, and he put on. Uh, a white shirt from the, I didn't even know he, remember he had this from Napoleon Dynamite that said vote for Pedro. So <laughs> normally I want a collared shirt and all that, but I thought this year of all years I was going to send out and I knew I sent one to you specifically because I thought you would love that. That's great. Yeah. No, I, I don't know if I got that. You know, I've got a stack of mail I have still haven't gotten to yet. Oh my gosh, because you're fighting, you're trying yeah. to save the country. Um, so, yeah. you know, you don't so, have time for those frivolities. <laughs> Yeah. So, but uh, we had a really good hearing last week. So, so uh, it was about the open records request. So, I guess I'll back up and I'll try to fill you in. So, we we had made our lawsuit, and we couldn't file it as an election contest, like we talked about last week, because if we kicked it out because we were beyond the five days. Uh, and the reason we were late was because we thought this the, the information we had was going to come up in other lawsuits, say from either Linwood or Sidney Powell, and they didn't. So uh, we uh, brought the air case as a non-election lawsuit, but as an emergency. And the judge said, well, if it's an emergency, uh, how, how can it be an emergency if it's not an election lawsuit? So he gave the court, uh, the defendants, more time. And he was going to give them 30 days, but then we objected and said, well, wait a minute, we have open records requests here, and Fulton County has lost their right to object, and our open records request happened to be for the same information that we wanted in discovery. Discovery is the process where you show each other the evidence, uh, each side shows each other the evidence, and then they we have a trial. So... Because of the open records request, which I happened to have filed, we got to keep this case going quicker than what we would have normally. So, um, and the judge agreed and he had, he had a hearing this past week on, on Friday to, uh, to what we call an evidentiary hearing as to whether or not, uh, they, they, we should, uh, proceed immediately. And the hearing basically went, our way uh, remarkably well. Um, we, I testified first, um, and I testified uh, that I had I put these two open records requests out there for them. I had given them to the five um, 
election board members, the elections director, the county attorney who was actually cross-examining me had gotten my open records request, and even the elections uh, division's open records processor, I had copied on these. So everybody had them and they ignored them. And that all came up in the trial uh, yesterday and it made them look pretty bad, I think. So uh, we, then we went to um, the, uh, uh, basically they tried to say that, well, you didn't put it in with the official Fulton County Open Records uh, Coordinator, who, who coordinates in general for all open records requests for Fulton County. And we said, well, all he's going to do is pass that to the person that I had already copied on my open records request who handles all the open records requests for the elections division. So he's just a conduit that where the open records requests flow through. Um, and we had gotten it to the right folks. Um, so they were having a really tough time arguing about that. And, um, um, we looked, I think we came, we came off really well on our, uh, information. Um, one of the, uh, things that we were talking about before we went on the air was, uh, I had, I had requested a visual inspection, but yet there was another, um, another, uh, open records request that was submitted. And, uh, that was for even more information, which was both the forensic inspection and the Dominion ballot images and the election reports. And the judge accepted that open records request as being a legitimate part of the case, which was a big deal for us because then we were able to double down on not just the visual inspection, but the forensic inspection and the Dominion ballot images and the Dominion election reports that we want. And now all of it is in play. So that was huge when he accepted that um, as, as a, a part of the case. And um, the uh, elections, uh, the open records coordinator, uh, didn't have much of a response uh, for for any of this. So <clears throat> just to walk you through some of the, what their responses were is my first open records request, they never responded to, period. Uh, no one has ever answered that request. That, that was uh, established. My next open records request, which I submitted on December 3rd before they certified, uh, that they, the, the recount results, they didn't actually respond to me until December 28th, five days after we had filed a lawsuit against them. That came up. Uh, their response, uh, um, was, uh, basically, uh, then, uh, in, incorrect because they said that ballots are exempt under open records, uh, statute. We said, no, they're not. There is, we, here's the statute. There is no exemption for ballots in the Open Records uh, Act. Now they are under seal, but that's something different because a court can order, uh, them to be unsealed. And that's what we're asking the court to do. Uh, so that, they were wrong on that reply. Um, then I submitted two more requests on top of that. And they uh, never responded to that request. I submitted those in um, late December, uh, which in reply to the open records request processor, the Fulton County one, the general one who had who had uh, had, had finally replied to me. So I requested two more things. One of those I requested was the tally sheets for the audit, 
We still don't have those. And um, he, he, they still him and on about that. And then the other one I requested was the meeting minutes from the election board meetings. He claimed that they were, had not been approved and we were able to establish and he was able to admit that they were approved and they should have been posted. They weren't. And he, his, his reply to me was false. So uh, all of that happened. That was just on my side. Then we went to the other open records request that had more information. They requested all this information from the November election and they received from him information from, um, which was not what they asked for. They asked for the ballots. They received information from a May uh, or June um, election, the official statement of votes cast, which had nothing to do with what the request uh, was. So basically, on our side, we established all of that as four or five, half a dozen different failures of open records requests violations uh, or request violations of open records request law so um that so that was on the that we got all that on the record and then they they decided that they had to call this open records request processor mr rosenberg who is not the elections division uh process he's the he's the conduit that passes everything through and he was on the stand for a long time uh, and just had no answers for for all, for any of this. Um, he tried to dodge in him and be polite and nice, but he just he just couldn't answer any of the questions. So um, that's where we left it. So we came off looking really really good, uh, and we actually had the uh, county attorney arguing that we should have had a that they should be subject to a $1,000 fine, but not necessarily give us the ballot, uh, the ballots that we wanted. So we said, no, I, you know, you know I'm, I don't really want your thousand dollars, but <laughs> I want to see those ballots. I mean, I'm, re- I'm, I'm retired. I could use the money, but very much so, but I'm not, we're not here for that. We're here because to, 2 million people in Georgia want to know what the results of the election were. And so do about 75 million folks around the country. I remember Rick Perry once when he was running for the Republican nomination, somebody suggested that he took a bribe, like a $5,000 bribe, and he stupidly and very quickly, and it was scrubbed from the internet, but I kind of grabbed it just for a little while and said, he said, are you suggesting that I could be bribed for five thousand dollars? <laughs> the implication being, meaning like it costs much more to bribe me. I, 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 know. I don't think there's Fulton County has enough money that would uh, I could I would take uh, in lieu of, of looking at these ballots. Um, yeah, it's that important for so, everybody. So. Okay, that's a lot. A lot of people have <laughs> questions. Um, I'm so ready. <laughs> one thing that I wanted to go back. So, well, I guess I should ask this question. So, the next step is the evidentiary hearing. Uh, well, that was the that evidentiary, was the evidentiary hearing. What's the next um, one? So he will have another uh, kind of a final hearing. Uh, he says he's ready to entertain proposed orders. That's a good thing. There were a few cleanups and technicalities. Um, left, uh, the, the county wanted to, uh, put some information into, into, uh, the record. 
and he uh they so he's going to give them a day or two and uh to put some information into the record and he's looking for proposed orders and we are debating a couple last things the 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 main question that he seemed to have was whether or not he had the correct jurisdiction and whether or not we had not necessarily jurisdiction but whether or not we had uh, named the correct plaintiffs because the custody of the ballots is moved to the court uh the and the clerk of the court now has the uh, the custody. We did not name the clerk in the in the lawsuit. We don't think that we actually have to because he has jurisdiction over the clerk of the court since he's representing the county, uh, Fulton County, uh, as as the uh, as a superior court judge. Even though the case was moved to a different district, so we will um, uh, you know iron out those things, and then I would hope uh, that we would have another hearing Friday to clean up a few last things and there's a some things that the county attorney said they're not correct and not true and we're we're going to address those and and then I'm I, we're, I'm expecting that we could possibly have some some type of a decision maybe in another week or so so okay um a few things one is I I only recently realized that Ron Paul had been declared the winner of the Iowa caucuses in June like four months after it was after I guess it was Mitt Romney got the Republican nomination. Then finally all the litigation was resolved. But for anybody who's looking, it was valuable information. So that just, I realized that this could go on. Well, obviously it's going to go on past the inauguration. And I had some specific questions. One is, so it sounded like a lot of stuff came up. It was, this hearing seemed more complicated than expected. And um, I think some people were confused by that. And, and you think that that was the right move? Well, yes, it was more complicated than I expected. Um, I, uh, if I was them, I would have never put uh, Steve Rosenberg on the on the stand. On the stand, I, I think he damaged their case. But um, they, I was, I thought it would go quickly. Our part went quickly. I was up and out within a half an hour. We had put all our evidence on within a half an hour, um, and then. <clears throat> We doubled down on them uh, with uh, another open records request, which was the uh, attorney had on behalf of an- another plaintiff. Uh, so that uh, really added to our case tremendously. So we're, I'm glad we did that. And then that was became more of the subject of the uh, investigation because that had more more information in it than we that we wanted uh, to to inspect. And it was the same information that we already had in our notice to inspect, but they would have uh, delayed that for another, you know, couple of weeks. And because we had that open records request and put that in, the county could no longer delay and they had to address that right there in the hearing. And, and we will be able to get a ruling on that one that we hope, you know, with next week as well. So, so that complicated the hearing. Um, uh, and a lot of the hearing went on for a long time because their open records request process had kept him in and hawing around. And it took a couple of hours of testimony versus, you know, about 20 minutes, which, you know, just to answer the question. So he really had no answers. And that was a very interesting cross examination. Uh, that yeah. one, of, one of the more interesting ones I've ever seen. So really. 
Yeah. Because it's, it seems to me, I mean, the, the obvious question, and I think somebody asked this question, I'm going to start pulling up those questions, but it seems to me, first I want to clarify, the the affidavits you have from poll workers who uh, said that there were irregularities in the ballots, when did they see that? Was it during the audit or the initial vote? It was It was during the audit. November 14th and 15th, when uh, the... So, isn't that the point of an audit? Oh, yeah. So, that's a great question, Monica. So, so unfortunately, most audits and audit laws, they just talk about recounting the ballots. They've never considered the fact that, well, what if you are doing the audit and you find invalid uh, ballots or potentially fraudulent. What do you do? Well, I don't think legislators uh, around the country have ever even thought about that. <laughs> they never thought about the, the possibility existing that somebody could put ballots in that could be detected as fraudulent. Uh, they had never even thought about that. And again, we don't know for sure they're fraudulent, but there is no there's no rational explanation for what we saw on November fourteenth and number fifteen. I would have thought there was a process to the audit process would include flagged ballots because when we saw that guy who, gosh, I always, his name always escapes me, the Dominion guy who filed a lawsuit against people who slandered him. Yes. So that was Eric Coomer. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We can talk a little bit about yeah, him. But, so. he, but in the video I saw of him, which you explained to us a little more clearly, there is a process to identify ballots that are unclear. The voter's intent is unclear. And then you said there's like basically a um, a tribunal. You know, three people come right. and try to figure that out. So it's called adjudication. Yeah, that's a process. And you would think that that process, being that it's in other counting scenarios, it would be in the audit. But But this all brings me to the question that it seems... Is it not just so obvious that these kinds that that you sh there should be a forensic examination of these ballots? Like, why? What possible good faith argument could they have for for resisting this? Well, there is no good faith argument, Monica. That was what was kind of fascinating. Right. Uh, they they argued that what the what the county attorney argued, which which is famously wrong, uh, was that it would, that we shouldn't have the right to look at other people's ballots, because that would validate, uh, violate the secrecy of the ballot, which is a constitutional requirement. But there's no name on those ballots. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, everybody knows that. There is no, there is no voter information, no name, no ID. So how, how a county attorney can get up and make that kind of a statement uh, and get away with it. And by the way, this is what's wrong with our judicial system. So, so you know, I have to make a sworn affidavit. I have to testify under penalty of perjury. But a, a, any any attorney can go into any court in the in the uh, state of Georgia, or really, or probably almost anywhere in America, and they can lie through their teeth, and there's no penalty for attorneys who lie. 
Uh, and that's that's really uh, kind of disturbing. And that's uh, but, true for senators but, and congressmen it's in the Constitution. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not a uh, I mean, it's, it's, this is not really about Fulton County or Georgia or but it's really about what's wrong with the American judicial system. Uh, you know, the attorneys should be held accountable to uh, the same standard that we are as as witnesses. Uh, but that that doesn't happen. Um, you know, right uh, in, in America. So at least any place that I know. So, you know, I, I guess I suppose somebody could could watch it and file a bar complaint. You know, uh, yeah, or, but it just or, but, it feels like to me anyone who would watch the whole hearing, which was many hours, and not everybody has the time for that. I didn't have the time for that, even though I would have loved to have spent the time doing that. Uh, I was pretty horrified that you couldn't get a show of support because it was virtual. I did not like that, uh, but the people they could just see it on their face if they had access to it all the time, which maybe having a virtual means you can have access to it. Maybe that is a better something that has some value there. But I also wanted to ask you, so now your appearances are Propaganda Report exclusive, which I love. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I have been cut off of media, so the Tony's want me yeah. on. So, I, so I, I told them, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll cut off 90%. But I'm not cutting off Monica because she has been with us all this time. And, all these uh, years. All these years. And I'm not doing that one. So they, well, they, were, they were happy with 90%. I, I love that for me, but it's kind of like the $1,000 fine. I would rather see you on Lou Dobbs every night. And I want to know if you feel like it's the right move that you're keeping this low profile. Like if someone you trust is giving you that advice. Well, to be honest, um, the, the media has kind of uh, they're, they're sort of lost interest in this at the moment. They're, 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 they want to know what the outcome is, but the media is not at a point where they can f- follow it. I'm talking about the national media, right? Uh, the national conservative media who actually are, are, are friendly. Um, they're, they've got so many other things going on in Washington right now that they're, they're kind of got their hands tied up. So they're interested. So, but with you, we can go through the case every week and I can explain for anybody in the country who, who wants to know, uh, what, what, what happened. And that's the good thing about having this WebEx hearing is that anybody in the country can watch. And we had folks all around the country, uh, watching the hearing. Uh, yeah. I know Binkley put, um, live stream some of it to a, we have a subscription video thing called Rockfin and a lot of our, People subscribe to that, and he was just seeing if it could be done, and he did it. So some people were privy to that, and we can do that again in the future, which would be helpful to kind of get the word out. But um, so I don't want to ask you something that you can't answer. But um, is is the and I'm not I, I'm not even going to get into what I think about the way the media is covering. January 6th, the events of January 6th. I mean, I, that is just uh, amazing to me what a, in my, in my observation, a pack of lies coming out of the media about January 6th. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me. It's, it's, un, what's unbelievable to me is not that they would do it, is that they're getting away with it. And, and not like the conservative media that, who likes you, like Newsmax, OANN, but like Fox which is, you know, used to be the right. So, <laughs> so I think that they're, they're, they've got this idea 
they're promoting this idea. They're totally, I mean, I don't know if you heard about this cumulus radio memo that came out that said if anyone talks about election irregularities or any kind of inval- invalidity, any uh, suspicions about the 2020 election, they will not have a job on this radio station. And the radio is always like the least censored. So it seems to me they're really quashing this information. And I wonder, um, I mean, they've got people running scared that any further pursuit of this is going to, uh, people will die. <laughs> you know, people will die. And I, 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 to me, the founders knew full well the implications of the First Amendment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they put it up knowing that when they exercised those rights, people did die. And it was for the, for the liberty of the country. But I don't even think people will die. But it just is there. Do you think that falls in at all? Or can you not? Even so, so uh, no, I can I can ask you a question. Okay. Do you think, would you have ever believed a year ago that we would be where we are today in terms of media censorship? No. And that was like one month before I lost my job over COVID. And now I think that this was probably, I, I almost think that COVID is secondary. The lockdowns are secondary to this thing. I feel like the COVID thing and the BLM thing came together to set the stage for this, which would have been impossible. I mean, I would have, I would have, I would have bet everything a year ago that there is not a no way on earth they could get the right to be the ones who were rioting. You know, these are these are the law and order folks. These are the people who defend the Constitution. These, however, I will say, and I know a lot of people like Trump. I told people from even before he was elected, I said this guy never ever ever defends the Bill of Rights or the Constitution. He never talks about that. And you can't, that's not okay. So he definitely set the stage for people to move in that direction. But the lockdowns combined with the only outlet being those BLM protests, which were a model of behavior, but not only were they a model of behavior, I think they set it up in people's minds that this is now possible. And they had to do that coming out of the left. But that, yeah. and, and now I really don't even think they provoked people on January 6th. I think everybody who took action basically was there for the show and that the mainstream media is, is saying stuff that is intentionally terrifying. And I even think that the blatancy with which the election um, irregularities occurred is it, it almost is out there on purpose to really trigger people. And and the other thing I'll say is that the January 6th thing, the, whatever what happened that day, it didn't it ended up completely working in the opposite favor of the people who supposedly disrupted the electoral process in that the, what they disrupted was objections to the certification, not the certification. So the whole thing seems like uh, a setup to me. And, you know, maybe now people will are triggered, you know, but it, it takes it takes making the Constitution dead. Yeah, it is suspicious, Michael. I mean, we, um, I was, all I can tell you is what we were doing on that day. We, at that very time, uh, we were in court. We were having a, having the hearing and we were seeing that on what was going on in the Capitol. And our hearing was actually delayed because the Fulton County, um, uh, uh, Fulton County itself had shut down and the attorneys for Fulton County had to go to their homes. So the court had to delay the, the hearing because Fulton County building, uh, government building had been evacuated. 
Uh, although I don't know of any, uh, any, any kind of violence or anything that occurred down there or vandalism of any kind, but they did delay the hearing while the attorneys went home and got back on. So, um, that, that was all going on and we were watching it on the, TV uh, as well, and we were trying to justify use that as justification as to why our lawsuit was a, an emergency. Yeah, and not only that, but like Binkley was saying, the tag offices, which are just these little standalone DMV offices in Fulton County, are closed till like after the inauguration. And the only point of that is to make people think that things are really scary. But I mean, are you scared? Well, uh, not, no, not really. I, I, actually, I asked about that. It's funny you mentioned that because I was going to the tag office and they told me, <laughs> yeah, they told me that they're making an update to the system and it's going to take a week and a week. Uh, it's like, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I'm in IT. We did, right. we would convert online banking systems in, in, uh, overnight, you know, in six hours so for, <laughs> for millions of users. So I don't know what they're doing that would require a week to, uh, but you know, it's, I, it's hard for me to believe that, but anyway, yeah. it's funny that you mentioned it. It is funny. So let's, um, if it's okay with you, let's, let's get to some of these questions. Sure. I'm not, I don't understand all the questions because some people watch the whole hearing and then they have some specifics. So I'm going to put stuff That's up. Even if I'm not a hundred percent. Um, let's start at the top. Everyone loves you. <laughs> a lot of these are just like, we love you, Garland. Uh, <laughs> I love those. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, you know I, I love, I, I gotta say that about this. The people, are amazing. This is a team. Uh, we, I mean, we have a, we have hundreds of volunteers, dozens of people who are deeply involved. Uh, we're all uh, committed, uh, praying all the time. I could call up anybody and ask them for anything. They drop what they were doing and, and try to help. Uh, and they all have special skills, and everybody's using them. This just happens to be my skill, so I'm kind of out front here on this, but, but there's so many people behind the scenes and I'm, I'm grateful for every single one of them. Yeah. But you have so much, um, a history. See that, that it goes to what I was saying about Trump did not defend the constitution and Ron Paul did. And he had a history of voting yes. and he had a history of those things. And, uh, and that goes a long way when the chips are down. Someone just emerges yeah. into the forefront without a history. I'm very suspicious, but you have a long history mm-hmm. of this and, and the nonpartisan nature of our experience. <laughs> when you told me that you thought John Ossoff probably beat Karen Handel before the runoff, I knew you were legit and, uh, I just knew it. And I mean, but I knew that before that. And, and, and well, and we did have two reports uh, on that, on those two races, both the runoff and the, the, uh, primary. And, um, I, he, we, uh, we could not prove conclusively one way or right. the other, but there was certainly, uh, significant evidence that that race had tampering, uh, with it. Uh, but it was just that you came out in, in defense of the Democrat, you know, to, to pursue it equally. Right. And then the other thing was your charges against Brian Kemp when he was running for governor against Stacey Abrams. I mean, that takes some cojones and it, it kind of got us out of a, um, we got to stump a few callers on the radio because there were all these trolls calling to say, you're always hating on Stacey Abrams. And cause we did this whole thing on her. And then, and the bottom half of the hour, 
you came on and did the same thing to Brian Kemp. So that's uh, one of my favorite episodes of all time. Yeah. I, I, re I remember that well. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, right, so we did that in the when he was running the primary because we didn't want to have an impact. Oh, we didn't want to be political. But this was when he was running in the primary with five, yes. five or six other candidates. Yes, um, I, you know Michael Williams and Hunter Hill Casey and Cagle. Clay Case Cagle. Clay, that was so crazy. What happened Clay, to him? Clay Tippins. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were all. So it was you know Republicans yeah. could have picked somebody else, but they didn't. That's right. That's right. Well, that's because that Casey Cagle thing. Boy, did that stink. Um, wow. Really stunk. Okay, so let's get to these questions. Ism Camp wants to know, didn't you request to see the ballots before they were sealed? Absolutely, because we know the, the trick is that these counties, they sit on the ballots. You know, you request it before they're sealed. They sit on it, and then uh, then they reply after they're sealed and say, oh, sorry, they're under seal now. We can't have it. So, yes, I did. My request was for December 3rd at 8.30 a.m., and they certified the recount on December 4th around noon. So, uh, yes, absolutely. Good, good question. So can I put stuff up like this? Um, Rusty says that the lawyer looked furious the whole time. How dare we want to validate the integrity of the election? Did you notice that? You know, no comment yeah. from Garland. Uh, yeah, I can't really comment that. I do know the attorney. Uh, she's, um, she has been very nice to me in the past. So I can't, I, I won't comment, uh, on, on her. Although I didn't recognize her. She cut her, all her hair off and died it since I last saw her. Maybe she was getting into fighting shape. <laughs> so, uh, Tony says if this was the best election in Georgia history, which is the, is, is the hype, then why can't anyone just look at the ballots and prove it? I think that goes to common sense and good governance. Some two things that do not seem to be present right yeah. now. That question just speaks for itself. I don't even even have to say a word yeah, on that one. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, so Kat fears that all the elections going forward will be opaque rather than transparent, I think, is is how she's thinking of it. Yeah. That, that's why we're fighting so hard. Uh, we're fighting so hard because we know that if this election, uh, if we don't expose and, you know, if this election is not transparent, let's put it this way, and we don't, we can't see these ballots, you know, no election in Georgia or really anywhere else in America is going to be legitimate anymore. We're, we're just going to de uh, degenerate into a third world banana republic. So yeah. we don't we don't want that. That's why so many people are fighting so hard. They know it's got to be done now and for this race and, and not in the future. And I, and I, I have to I want to bring up I, I get these emails. I must have signed up for it as opposition research. How do they they're they are rallying people behind converting the presidential election to a popular vote without a constitutional amendment. And um, I don't, I mean, they can do anything they want, I guess, once you have no more, once the none of the branches of government defends the constitution, they can kind of just make up gobbledygook and they seem to, that seems to fly with a captured media. But as far as the issue goes, for me, I I feel like the issue with the popular versus the electoral vote is exactly the same as it was during the Civil War. And it's and it, it may be I mean, I don't know my Civil War history, but theoretically, that kind of thing is what um, what causes Civil War in that. If you have the cities, which are a totally different economy and value system, usually like L.A. and New York basically determine everything. But. There is some representation. There's some um, consideration given to 
all those flyover states, all those. I mean, when you look at a map of counties and how they voted, the, the country's red. With like, it's almost like there's, you know, earmuffs. I always think it's like Pakistan and Bangladesh and then India. You know, it's just the two, you know, the two. And and that if you have a where's the popular vote, everything, even to the point of, and I think it was like cotton import export policy in the Civil War that made a big difference. Then you, you can put like they put taxes on British textile imports, which crashed the price of cotton, maybe a little rusty. But you could do the same thing, especially now that they have trade controls. You could really just destroy middle America. And for me, that's that's why I feel like you have to defend the Electoral College versus the popular vote. But is there another reason? Well, yeah, a couple of reasons, Monica, to go along with what you're saying. Um, so, as you said, basically, if if you didn't have electoral college, it, you know, the inner cities of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago would, you know, control every election. But, but I think the point that you know that most of the people watching may or listening may not know is that America was not founded as a country. It was founded as a collection of 13 sovereign states. And, and the founders wanted each state to have an equal, uh, voice in the, uh, well, not an equal voice, but a proportionally equal voice in the, uh, electoral process for the, for the president. So, and to avoid, uh, the exact situation that you're talking about. Um, so that's why they set it up that way. And that's why the, the the states are basically, you know, you have these electoral college votes. So um, imagine, I think we tried this with the 17th Amendment and, and we saw, we kind of see what happened there. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the electoral, they decided that we'd, let's just elect our senators from with by popular vote instead of by the state legislatures. Well, that did a couple of things. First of all, it, it, it removed the federal government from accountability to the states, which was, uh, and as we've seen, is that's a proven to be an absolute disaster where we have a federal government that's now totally out of control that we may never get back under control. And because, I and believe it, that gives too much uh, power to the Supreme Court, which is then the only arbiter of constitutionality of congressional law, which I think should have been state nullification. And I think that was the original intention. Well, right, right. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, so, and then we come along with this national popular vote bill that you're talking about. So this is the most bizarre thing. I, I understand, okay, if you want to make a constitutional amendment and you want to allow the, the president to be, um, elected by popular vote, that's one thing. You know, I don't, I think that was a disaster with the 17th amendment. We've already proven that. However, but this, this bill is even more bizarre. This is where, okay, I'm, I'm a state. I can, I'm going to vote. And if the popular vote is not, doesn't go the way that my state voted, the state is suddenly obligated to change its votes to match up to the popular vote. Uh, it's the craziest, dumbest thing that I've seen. Uh, it just makes no absolute sense. And in fact, it's not just dumb, it's just corrupt. So, yeah. uh, it's, it's, that's not the way. You, that's not the way to legitimately, if you want a popular vote by, for president, you have to do it with a constitutional amendment, even though I think that would be a, a, a bad move. It's proven to be bad by the 17th Amendment. But to try to say that, 
you're going to disenfranchise all the voters in, in a state because some other state voted differently. That's one of the most bizarre Marxist arguments that I've ever heard. So, uh, but that's what we're listening to right now on this, and that's been going around. Uh, and what I think is interesting about that is some of the Republican legislators have, have uh, uh, were going along with that, even though it would damage them uh, more so than than the Democrats. So, but they're actually voting in their own bill. And you know what's happening? They're getting paid off behind the scenes. So the first thing to do is go and look and see who sponsored that national popular vote bill, and you'll kind of have an idea of that legislator's integrity. Wow. Okay. <laughs> There's a thread to pull on. I, I said way too much about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. We'll just keep moving. So uh, what happened to the Senate motion for a forensic audit of the ballots on the video after Pulitzer had testified or that the voting machines were online that day during the runoff? Okay. Very couple of, that's two questions. Yeah, there. Two so, questions. so let's, let's go. The voting machines uh, technically, we're not online. What he found was that a poll worker or um, a poll book was online. It was exposed to the public internet. Uh, the Secretary of State's office says, okay, yes, that is, in fact, uh, they are exposed to the public internet um, in order to access uh, during early voting the voter registration files because they have to check you off as voted so you don't go over to another precinct and vote a second time. So that process that that needs to be uh, access to the voter registration database is legitimate. My question would be, why was it exposed to the public internet? That should be handled through what we call a VPN, Virtual Private Network Tunnel, to the Secretary of State's um, office. Uh, that's the way that should work, and it's not. So it, it, that is a, that's a problem. Um, so, uh, and, and it shouldn't be that way. But in regards to this first part of the question, this, the forensic audit of the ballots, that is in the discovery that we have requested. We've requested the forensic audit, and it's in this open records request that we're talking about. So we're asking, for, again, for four things, our discovery and the um, this last open records request that we were talking about, they asked for four things. Uh, we asked for the for visual inspection, the forensic inspection, the Dominion ballot images, and the Dominion election reports. The ballot images will confirm that there was no tampering with the ballots, and the reports will confirm the chain of custody matches where our new chain of custody they'll be established. So that's that's kind of the next. I'm still annoyed. I feel like there's a fatal break in that there is absolutely no way to go back and examine evidence of voter intent. Like that really drives me crazy. Like the hanging Chad was a good thing, <laughs> you know, right. versus what we have. Yes, that's everybody complained. You know, I will say everybody, the media, the media made a big deal out of that on purpose. Uh, and, the, what, and the paper stock might have been purposely um, bad, right? Uh, it was, in fact. Um, seven uh, employees of Sequoia came forward years later to say that they believe their company shipped bad paper to uh, Palm Beach County, Florida, to cause that um, 
that that hanging chad situation to occur and then that way they got to sell uh, all new voting machines to america with <laughs> with your taxpayer funds That's but at least it, you could see the ballot that the voter touched well, exactly. That's what I said. So, uh, we, we, you know, you had a verifiable voting ballot and you did a legitimate recount. That's exactly the way elections are supposed to work. They're not supposed to, you're not supposed to bring in, use that as an excuse and bring in a, like Georgia did, we brought in a, a, a voting machine that's 100% unverifiable. The voter is not auditable, 100% not auditable, and it it didn't do a recount. All it would do is reprint the previous unverifiable results. It's so like that, uh, curing a disease by killing the patient. <laughs> exactly. That was, <laughs> and, the, and the patient only had a hangnail. <laughs> <laughs> Almost literally. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, so... Um, Next question. Please discuss your thoughts about Gabriel Sterling's contract with the state as a contractor versus an employee and his compensation for this job. Love and trust, Garland. Thank you for all you do. Oh, boy. If I get started on Gabriel Sterling, I will not get off. We'll, we'll, we'll be here for the rest of the show. Um, because it's a court hearing, uh, I probably cannot say much more about Gable, but what, let me, let me, let me, uh, suggest something. Go back and look at my testimony to the, it's public. I testified to the second Senate hearing. It's up on voterga.org events. And that will get into a little bit about what I think about Gable Stewart and the Secretary of State's office because it's already on public record. Um, I, I, I'm not, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I wouldn't have that job for 200,000 bucks as a contractor or the state. I, I wouldn't, that job is too, too difficult. Um, and, um, so I, I, the issue, the issue, the issue is not about his employment and how much he made. That was an AJC diversionary article. The real issue that AJC is covering up by that article is they're covering up this steady stream of false information coming from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, if you go again, go back to my public testimony at the Senate hearing, um, which was I forgot what date it was, but it was the second Senate hearing, not the December third. It was the somewhere uh, in late I forget late December around the 20th, uh, somewhere around there. And you will see uh, what I said about all that. And I think that will have to speak for itself just for the moment. But we are documenting uh, all of the false information that has come out of Secretary of State's office. And, you know, Gabriel is a big part of that. And it's, that's we'll eventually get all that on the public record at some point in time. Uh, just to say, Lynette says, thank you, Garland, for everything you are doing. Thanks, Lynette. Um, that's a big supporter. In so, oh, really? Oh, great. Uh, oh, uh, yes, go ahead. That's great. So uh, Kyle says, uh, don't absentee ballots have a signature on them? And I know the answer to that, but if you would explain it, I think a couple of people had that question. Go ahead. You answer and I'll okay. add to you. So my understanding is that they that the ballots are filled out, folded, and put in an envelope, maybe even two envelopes, and the signatures are on the outside. And then when they mm -hmm. get separated from the signature, that there's a verification process there, but then they're standalone. And that is when the 
the affidavits you have, those were stacks of ballots that weren't folded and were on the wrong paper stack and looked like they were pre-printed in that the perfect circles made out of toner. But by then, they were out of the envelopes and disconnected from any possibility of verifying signatures, even if you wanted to, right? You got it. I can't, I can't add anything to that. <laughs> okay, great. You nailed it. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Um, here's an idea. Uh, Rusty says, shouldn't ballots be numbered and watermarked and then randomly distributed so that we can detect if fraudulent ballots have been inserted? This is a really good question. Um, uh, so, uh, I, I, I tend to agree with Rusty. I think that I, I like the idea of ballots being numbered, uh, with having a control number, uh, and, and it's not tied to the voter. Uh, but that prevents, could prevent ballots from being scanned multiple times. Right now, you can scan a ballot a thousand times. Um, and just over and over again, and and you have no audit trail that it was a different ballot. So if they were numbered, if you had a control number not linked to the voter, no no secrecy issue, I think that is a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, the watermark is also a good idea. It shows you that somebody else cannot produce uh, a ballot. Uh, um, the only thing that the watermark doesn't protect you against is if the elections officials themselves produce more ballots while they're testing on watermarked paper. Uh, but I think uh, Rusty's got some really good points there. My, uh, my kids' some- standardized tests are way more secure. Yeah, it's really impossible for you to choose those things. I mean, it's just crazy. There's barcodes and all that kind of stuff, and they fill it out in three different ways. Anyway, so just obviously security, there's a battle somewhere to make them not secure, it seems to me. Anyway, so, right? So the open, this is, you know, that's the kind of thing that it's like the impeachment, the second impeachment. Any good faith, common sense, we're in this together way of thinking about it. You would not impeach that. Even if you wanted to make sure he would never vote again, um, run again, you can do that. If I, I mean, I'm the only one I heard saying this. So I, I, if there's a lawyer out there, give me a sanity check. But I think the 14th Amendment says that if anyone is convicted of insurrection, they can't run for those high offices. He didn't have to be impeached, but it just, it just demonstrates the disingenuousness of these elected officials who say that they're doing their jobs in representing us and our best interests. And then they do things that are so irrational that their explanations have to be completely twisted. And, and people accept that. And it's a hundred percent because the media is completely captive. Yeah, but yeah. the media accepts it and crams, and, they, it and crams it down the people's throat. They really do. And then, you know, that makes it, it assures that the people in the media are either idiots or, you know, they're either completely stupid or totally um, immoral. So but then you have a media, you know, then it's self perpetuates. But Kevin says the open records request attorney Stephen Rosenberg said at Friday's hearing, he doesn't even know if names are on the ballot. Good grief. Is that true? Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, and in fairness to Stephen Rosenberg, I mean, he's he is he's he doesn't do deal with elections. Uh, he's the general uh, 
he's the general open records request coordinator officer for the entire county. And that includes everything, which is, and that's why it's so ridiculous when they say, well, Garland, you should have routed your request to him instead of going directly to the, to the person who actually processes the open records request that he sends them to. So he's I, not the guy. Right. He's, he's not going to process them anyway. He's just the conduit. So I went straight to the source, gave her my uh, open records request, and she ignored it. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> And then she blamed him. That's really what was going on. Right? <laughs> or whatever. Blamed that you didn't go through. I get it. Like Well, it was well just- yeah, they didn't really. They had no excuse. I mean, right. they, they, they didn't even try to blame each other. They just didn't yeah. have any excuse at all. I, I saw a... Um, a, a clip from the McCarthy hearings back in the 50s. And I forget the guy's name, but he wore an all white suit. It was the attorney for the other side. And he just spewed complete BS, like literally described for the record a picture that he had in evidence that the words that he said that went into the record did not match the picture he was talking about. And and I just thought that must have been the turning point of just how you could just the guy was like, you know what, I'm just going to BS and I bet I get away with it because everybody wants to crucify this guy. And I feel like if they have some some BS thing that people can't really follow because they're not paying attention, they'll just throw anything on the wall and see if it sticks. So yeah. uh, another item, there is a big problem with the money that came from the not for profit that, quote, funded the drop boxes and other ways those funds were dispersed. Is this something you're familiar with, Garland? Um, so I am familiar with a not-for-profit that was funded, uh, primarily by the founder of Facebook. There is a not-for-profit. Now, whether they actually funded the drop boxes, I'm not aware of, but assuming that they did, uh, or even if they didn't, here's the issue that I see with drop boxes. Um, basically, they, uh, allow for ballot harvesting. And what we suggested, you know, they are, they could be a convenience, but what we suggested was if you want to make it more convenient for the voter, let them take their ballot to their post office and then let the postal clerk check the ID of the voter and before accepting the ballot, at least you have your ID checked. You can't just go and drop stuff in uh, in a box somewhere uh we have a case now where you know they they said well don't worry about it you got video uh we have uh video cameras on this wall we've got one of our members that's been trying to get video tapes of a given dropbox for i don't know how long a month or so i think and they can't they can't get the get the video recordings so it's just um it's, it's it's an absurd idea, but anyway, that's where we are with that. Well, I saw it in action because my son has Down syndrome. He turned 18 this year. And of course, in his public school, they're all vote to this kid. I mean, really. So we're in California. It doesn't matter. So we facilitated his voting and we actually let him vote for whoever he wanted to vote for. And since everybody told him to vote for Biden, he voted for Biden, whatever, which is good because he tells everybody that and it keeps us from getting, uh, when the pitchforks come, we'll probably be safe because he tells everybody he voted for Biden. So, but we dropped his, we got, he got a ballot in the mail. I got a ballot in the mail. I didn't even ask for it. And 
we just let them fill it out or we help them fill it out and we put it in the Dropbox. But any, this is what I see now, like someone like him, who's technically an adult, you, if you were aware of his existence and anybody in these schools, these are public facilities who have special needs programs, it wouldn't take much to figure out help, help special needs people vote. And then you just gather up the stuff and it, nobody sees you filling it out for them if you're just taking a stack of them from your, you know, social work um, program and putting them in the Dropbox. I mean, it didn't happen because we were just exercised personal integrity. But beyond that, it could easily have happened. So Rusty wants to know, do I misunderstand? Uh, did I misunderstand him or did the judge say that he was only going to decide whether or not Fulton County violated the open records request? Well, he he is. That's Rusty's right. That's exactly what he did. he's going. He did. He is going to rule on. However, the question is, what is the remedy for uh, for that? Is it going to be the thousand dollar fine, or <laughs> is it nice going to all, <laughs> all right? Or are we going to get to see the inspector balance? Um, so that's, uh, so I, we expect that the ruling would make that decision. Um, and the thousand dollar fine is more of a, a criminal situation. So, um, I, we, uh, you know, we think that he will have to decide whether or not we're going to get the, to do the inspection as a result of, of our open records request violation. So, so yes, he's right. Will you appeal if your request is denied? Uh, well, let, let's not put the judge's name on the. Uh, yeah, I want to keep. Oh, wanna, sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. But you, you got rid of it fast. Yeah, I want to try to keep the judge as much out of it. We're trying to keep the pressure off him. We think he's a good judge. He's asking all the right questions. Um, you know, he's he's you know, it's been a little bit slower than we uh, had hoped, but he's he's doing the right thing. He's asking the right questions. If I was the impartial judge, I would ask the same questions he's asking, and I'm but I'm not. Um, uh, uh, I am, uh, you know, I'm not impartial, so I'm partial. Yeah, uh, we will take that wherever we need to go. Um, I think that we're not going to stop, you know, if we had to go to the, you know, the last case we had, um, back in 2009 for the old machines, we took straight to the Georgia Supreme Court from the state superior court, bypassed court appeals altogether. Uh, then we can go to the U.S. Supreme Court if necessary. That will take money. It'll take probably more money than what we have right now. So we'll be coming back and asking for donations at voterj.org donate tab. But um, uh, right, I, I, I don't. I just don't think we're going to have to go there. But we'll see. We'll see right. that. Okay. So Kurt, I think you actually did answer this a couple of times, but I don't. I, I don't want to say. It, Kurt says. <clears throat> uh, you are asking and might get a visual inspection, the Dominion images, and a forensic inspection. Is that correct? That's what you're hoping for. That's what we're asking. We're asking for, and the and the, the other the fourth thing is the is the Dominion election reports. Right. Okay. These are all standard reports. Uh, they are uh, nothing proprietary about it. Nothing violates the secret uh, ballot, and nothing. Uh, is would uh, interfere with the current ongoing elections. Okay. Um, does I'm anybody miss uh, Davids? I saw David Hancock. I know, but I didn't. I I'm 
And now I'm worried that putting people's stuff up is bad. <laughs> you know, oh, like okay. I'm worried now. I love David. So he's great. He says states that don't support the Constitution are the ones that need to secede. He's uh, absolutely 100% right. And I never heard anybody say that before. Um, but that's absolutely correct. And and then what it really is, is a coup. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, does anyone know what happens to the GOP college votes, which were not counted on the 6th of January? Are they retained as part of the record of the day? I don't think I understand. Were they not counted that day? Oh, okay. So they're talking about the electoral college votes. Yeah, I thought they snuck back in the dark and night and withdrew all their objections and everybody just capitulated. It was disgusting. Yeah, I was uh, a bit disappointed, uh, particularly (laughs) with with Kelly Kelly Loeffler. I know. She did stand up in front of a crowd of, I don't know, 50,000 people. Uh, when Trump had a rally for her and say she was going to object the day before the election and the day after she stands in front of the Senate and says she is not going to object. Uh, so that's going to be a, um, she's going to go down in history for that one. Yeah. So, but I'm sorry, I missed, I missed one or two of the questions there. Um, no, I just, uh, I was just throwing stuff up that <clears throat> like, uh, Ism Kansas. So David, all fifty states would have to secede. <laughs> but the the question here, and this is something I don't understand: Would Joven Pulitzer mm. be able to scan the ballots to determine any and all possible potential issues? I don't think scanning the ballots would would reveal the things that your poll workers swore they saw. That would have to be a person. Well, uh, actually. Um that's an interesting question. So what Kurt's driving at there is that, yes, we'll do the visual inspection, but a forensic inspection will also do the same thing. So there'll be two different independent means of verifying each other. So, so um, the forensic inspection can do everything that we can do visually and more. So let's suppose you could see that there were 17,000 um, invalid ballots visually. You can visually detect them. Forensics is so sophisticated, they might find that now it was actually 18,000. You missed a 1,000. So uh, it's very uh, sophisticated. Right. Um, and uh, that, so that will even, even be uh, an additional double check. There'll be two or three things, ways to check that. And then we can check the Dominion ballot images as well. Right, right. That was another question. I mean, it's this. It's a lot of stuff, and it's complicated. So it is good to repeat like the distilled points, so people can remember and have some talking points that you can. When people say you're crazy conspiracy theorist, boogaloo boy, you think that this was an election stolen, and it's like, well, there are sworn affidavits that people saw inauthentic ballots in an audit, and where they were working at the poll. So. You know, that's like real stuff that you can say to people. And well, I, I tried to make that point in my testimony. Uh, what I, the thing I wanted the court to understand was that when I filed that open records request, State Farm Arena uh, video had not gone public. Nobody knew about it. Uh, I filed that before the video went public, and I filed it because of those four sworn affidavits. 
Um, so, uh, and, and that was enough evidence, I think, to justify the open records request, even though I don't need any justification. Absolutely. Given also that it seems like the common sense purpose of an audit to the point where the fact that it's not written into audit law means to me it's self-evident. But whatevs. I mean, but Rob has a question. If you were to prevail in this action, what sort of remedy do you envision the court would enter? Is there a fear of the court ruling the matter moot after January 20th? No, uh, not really. Uh, there's no fear of that because the court's already uh, accepted the case as a, it's a non-election challenge. And we have um, at least a half a dozen or more constitutional rights violation of due process and uh, equal protection. So our argument is that our vote was diluted because of the illegal scan of the ballots or the illegal ballots that are in the account right now that we believe are illegal. So that's our argument. Uh, that argument is not going away on January 20th, uh, no, uh, regardless of who's president. So we, we will, you know, pursue this, uh, to the, uh, nth degree. And yeah, the judge, the judge will not rule us moot. Do you, know. okay. Do you expect that? Can, do you mind, Garland, if we finish the questions, even though we've already taken That's up? Cool. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Do you think that the Secretary of State will attempt to, in Georgia, will attempt to approve, improve the election process, such as the way the, imp- <laughs> for those who are just listening, Garland is laughing. Uh, so I guess we can go on to the next. Yeah. So, so, uh, well, that, that deserves uh, a verbal answer. So, you know, we spent years trying to improve this process. We gave them, uh, we up on voterga.org, we have the Safe Voting Commission system recommendations that we made two years ago and how to avoid all the problems that we have now. The Secretary of State had those recommendations. The Georgia legislature had all those recommendations. The Safe Voting System Commission had all those recommendations. Had we implemented those recommendations, I don't think we would have been where we are today. I don't think we've even been close. And that's why they didn't. So to try to say that the Secretary of State is going to, after the last couple of years of just ignoring everything that we have said and done for years, all the information we have, even our personal meetings with him, which I've had before he was the Secretary of State, when he was in the Republican primary, uh, to say that he's somehow going to... uh, turn around after this massive uh, uh, am- amount of incorrect information that's been coming out of his office. No, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. So um, it's a sad situation for Georgia, but that's really where we are. Yeah, and probably where we're going to be, even though we have a question, what would you suggest our road is going forward in regards to next future elections and how to hold politicians and officials accountable? Is there any hope for that, in your opinion? <laughs> Well, somehow we always get the $64,000 question <laughs> near the end of the hour. So, uh, so, uh, that's a great question. Maybe we'll have to kind of think about that for a week and come back and yes. get it on Sunday. But I, I have not found any way in 20 years to hold politicians and officials accountable. And we have tried everything. We've tried the, the, the ballot box. The, we've tried the judicial system. Uh, we have, we have been blocked at every turn, uh, for accountability. One thing that we need to do, 
And there's a group that's working on this right here in Georgia, and that is to restore, make sure, restore access to the grand jury by, by, by the general public. So you as a citizen of any state, uh, you have the right to go directly to a grand jury with evidence of criminal activity. That is your constitutional right under the First Amendment to re uh, petition to redress for grievances. Uh, and uh, you've been able to do this for for decades. Uh, for, uh, centuries. Centuries. Yeah. Centuries. I always wonder all, what that meant. Yeah, and all of a sudden, well, that was just one of the things you can petition to redress for grievances, but but uh, all of a sudden, district attorneys asserted, inserted themselves in between the people and the grand juries. Uh, we currently have a situation right here in Georgia where uh, a group of citizens tried to they, they literally delivered a petition to the foreman of the grand jury of the U.S. District Court in Northern District of Georgia, and apparently the clerk of the, of the jury uh, seemed to have sat on it and never gave it to the foreman, which is a federal offense. So, um, but this is happening all over. This is happening with uh, district attorneys, not just in Georgia, but all over the country. And I know that they've, uh, I've seen criminal complaints filed against district attorneys for this. So that's, that, that, I think that is the key to holding government officials accounting, because right now district attorneys throughout the state and throughout the country are keeping these corrupt officials in power by not prosecuting and making backdoor, backroom deals uh, uh, with them. At least that's just what I, my opinion of what I seems to be, uh, what I'm seeing from around the state and from around the, the country. So that's what has to happen. Um, and uh, we don't, we'll see what happens. I don't know if that petition's going anywhere. They're having to file suit now um, uh, to try to get their petition heard by a grand jury, which should have been their right. Right. Uh, can we, we just have a couple more. Um, Andrew is confused about the need for drop boxes. So many more options. Just mail the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused too. It's, it's unnecessary. Yeah. It was just, uh, I, in my opinion, and there are other election integrity advocates who disagree with me on this, uh, but in my opinion, it's just an excuse to have ballot harvesting. If we want convenience for the voter, let them take the ballot to the post office, have their ID with their ID, let the clerk uh, verify it, and then accept the the ballot uh, the ballot at their local post office. And who knows, you can give the post office a little money for doing doing that, providing that service keeps them uh, floating. Uh Yes, that would work. Um, from the new November 3rd Fulton County video with audio that came out on Friday, I want to know how a poll worker was paid $100 per hour, followed money. I actually applied for a poll worker position just to see in Georgia, and I think it was only 20 bucks an hour at the time, but I did not get the job, which I couldn't understand. Like, how could I not? I'm pretty qualified for <laughs> pretty much anything yeah. like that. But anyway, so are they really making 100 bucks an hour? No, they're not. So uh, David's referring to a video that got released, um, and um, I'm not going to be able to comment on that, but the, the video implied that the 
um, it basically kind of implied that that's what they were the people who illegally scanned the ballots were uh, getting. Uh, that may or may not be true. That that it had some enhanced audio. I can't really say for sure that that audio is accurate. Um, so I'm going to have to pass on that Got particularly. It. Particularly that could come up in our court case later on down later on down the road. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm not aware. I haven't looked at it long and uh, deep yeah. enough to deep enough to make an opinion on that. And I probably couldn't, even if I had an opinion, I probably couldn't share it at this time. Yes. Uh, it's always good to right. absolutely be sure, especially somebody who people really trust like you. It's good to <laughs> throw in there that if you don't know. So is there anything um, you want to tell people before we wrap what we should be really looking forward to? You know. Uh, when is the next, the final hearing? Yeah, we, we, uh, we should be, we should be having a hearing, uh, next, next week. Um, I think we'll have a hearing next Friday that I think will wrap up the open records part of the case. The rest of the case will still be going on though. Um, so, uh, but I think that will be, I think we're going to reach a, hopefully reach a conclusion next week. So. Um, Can we do this again on Saturday? It's uh, my mom's turning 92 this weekend. So I don't I'm going to probably be on a plane on Sunday unless whatever the jackboots bar my (laughs) traveling for whatever reason. But anyway, so I'd rather do it on Saturday if you can and just get an update if that's okay. It doesn't even have to be a whole hour if you feel if nothing happens, but we can touch bases because I want people to stay aware. I mean, there's going to be some value in the resolution. I, I, you know, Right, right. Uh, sure, we can do Saturday afternoon. That's that would be great, uh, unless we're inspecting ballots. I if understand. We're, if we're inspecting ballots, we'll have to cancel. Uh, I know or, I'm your priority, but not unless, that much priority. <laughs> unless you want to do it live, you know, we can do it live at the. Hey, uh, actually, you think you're going to want to do that? So, don't you think you're kidding? Well, we do. I mean, we will want video, of course, there if we get that opportunity. Um, so, um, yeah, that, definitely, definitely. Yeah, we'll actually, if if Binkley's willing to do that again, and you guys are down for it, any link you post, he can he can live stream. So that would be cool too. All right, Garland. Wow, it's just right. it never stops. It's so interesting. It's such a wealth of information, and I just um and oh and hope like. Dude, I don't know how after all these years you still like, you know, put all your time and effort in, into this. It's starting to get, um, uh-huh. but it's our last hope. If we believe in the Constitution, want to defend it, you got to use it. As my mother says, use it or lose it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 it's been a long, hard fight, but I mean, you have, we have to fight now because there is no tomorrow, uh, with, okay. with this, with elections. So I, I need, I need to get back to have a life at some point in time, but. Uh, this is like this is a literally a twenty four seven job right now. Yes, yes, I'm sure mm-hmm. it is. Well, hopefully you can squeeze us in next week. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna um I'm gonna say goodbye to our listeners. Please feel free to share this, and it's gonna be in the audio for the propaganda report, and that's gonna get many many thousands of downloads, which you should also share because, as we said, this is a propaganda report exclusive. <laughs> Bye guys! Well, yeah, hit you, subscribe and the like button. Let people know that we're on board with Garland. Thank you. Thanks, Monica. We appreciate you.